Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Today, the International Court of Justice will be ruling on South Africa's genocide case against Israel. 17-judge panel due to issue a ruling at 2 p.m. today. That's both South Africa and Israel time on uh, whether to order emergency measures against Israel over the war in Gaza. And uh, it's going to be interesting how they manage it. We've been playing out some scenarios, but we wanted to speak to Anne Hertzberg. She's a legal advisor of NGO Monitor. She's an expert in lawfare. We've spoken to her before. And a very good morning. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us again. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. Well, we're we're a little bit nervous here in South Africa. Well, as everybody in Israel and I guess around the world, but uh, the stakes seem to be, you know, the, uh, South Africa looking at it like almost like it's a sport event, and they want to return home victorious. So it puts some of us that are supporters of Israel in a very precarious situation today. But uh, so we wanted to, in any event, play out what could happen, what is likely to happen, and uh, and your thoughts on it. Yeah. So yeah. I, first of all, I think that's really egregious that the government officials would act that way. Um, you know, this is a very serious matter. Millions of lives are hanging in the balance right now in this conflict. Thousands and thousands of people are suffering. And for officials like that to treat this so lightly and as a sporting match, it's very disturbing and and shows to me that they aren't taking this thing seriously. I think there's I think there's some likely scenarios and a couple scenarios that we could possibly see. So one of the scenarios is that and this this one I think is the most likely is so South Africa had asked for several interim measures and the first one of those was that israel be ordered to cease its military operations Mm. And and the rest of the measures were that it comply with its obligations under the genocide convention and international law so the first measure they're asking for is quite astounding. I, I would be surprised if the court made a ruling like that, that Israel would have to stop because it would conflict with a lot of different other international legal obligations, notably the right of self-defense. So my and guess also, is what the, and, and oh, just sure. also, Sorry, just to add to that, doesn't it effectively, yeah. should they order that, doesn't it effectively sign the death warrant for the hostages? Because the only way there will be a reasonable ceasefire of any sort, whether it's a pause or a full, uh, is, is in a negotiation that allows or demands Hamas return the hostages or their remains but it cannot be that Israel is simply demanded if Israel has to just stop well that's the uh, unfortunately would be the end of uh, of of hope for the hostages a hundred percent and also it would basically be saying Hamas can continue to exist Hamas mm. wins the war and the ICJ cannot say I mean they can say it but no country in their right mind would follow such a decision, and I think it would gravely harm their credibility if they do come out with that scenario. Mm. So I think likely they won't find that. They will probably keep the case going, however, mm. and say that mm. Israel has to comply comply with its international obligations. 
it's also possible they could dismiss the case outright either on a technicality because that was a big feature of Israel's presentation to the court a couple weeks ago or they may just say you know there's no merit on the genocide charges but given it's a UN court I would think that's the least well, likely. That, that, that was my concern you know we've seen UNRWA being very very much I don't think we even realized the extent to which they've been complicit. We've seen the World Health Organization. We've seen the International Red Cross. We've seen the tweets by uh, um, Antonio Guterres and and his uh, his cohorts. There doesn't seem to be within the United Nations. There doesn't seem to be a sympathetic voice for Israel. There is the ICJ any different? Yes, I don't think it will be any different because we have to, first of all, in terms of the UN composition, we know that it's dominated by authoritarian regimes and non-democratic countries. So they control the UN and they also control the votes on the court. There are a couple of countries that are sort of on the fence, so we don't know which way they will go. But even if all the Western countries side with Israel in this case, it's not enough to overcome the seven to six. Mm. So that's a significant concern. And then coupled with the fact that the UN as an institution is unwilling to engage in any self-reflection over its role in this catastrophe. It's shocking and it's horrific. And none of, you know, their, their response has been cover up, silence, trying to block any, any mechanisms that would require them to engage in reform, oversight, they just want complete impunity. And unfortunately, because this is a UN court, it would not surprise me if they endorse that. So, so that is, is it's, it's actually quite remarkable that, that the cards are really very much stacked against Israel in this regard in terms of the ICJ. But then you've also got the letter signed by, I think it was 240 um, American lawmakers. You've got Germany saying very, very strongly that they are going to, whether it's become a third party, I don't really understand what that meant. But you've got a lot of very staunch and unambiguous support. What we've seen in the past is, uh, what in my experience is, is softer support. But when you see that letter that the Americans have put together and you see Germany's statements, they're very strong sta- statements, uncharacteristically so. Uh, does that impact the court? It may. I, it hasn't, though, in other instances. And I, and I guess maybe a cynical take would be that these statements you know, are, are giving very strong expressions of support. But if the court rules against Israel, we will have to see, will they back up that support? Will these countries cut funding for the UN? Mm. Will they, you know, tell, make statements saying Israel does not need to follow such an immoral ruling? So that that's sort of what we will have to see. You know, it, it, lip service is nice, but what... What um, actions will these countries take afterwards should the ruling be, um, 
you know, it could, it could be a, a very bad ruling. Mm. But but it, let, let's assume it is a bad ruling. Let's assume that they demand yeah. that Israel ceases immediately, and um, and then they and they're going to go ahead looking into genocide allegations because that's really the worst case scenario. It, right. The reality is Israel is not going to listen. Much like Russia hasn't listened, much as much like South Africa didn't listen when they were told to arrest Omar el Bashir. So, so the court has absolutely no teeth. It's got um, no ability to enforce its own ruling. By doing so, if the court is to rule that Israel has to immediately stop its campaign. Uh, it it actually weakens itself because it will know full well that there is no chance that Israel will, especially with the hostages still in Gaza. Israel won't listen, and uh, it, it just means that the court becomes weaker and weaker. Precisely, precisely. So I, I do think if they care about the institution and their credibility, they will need to issue a good opinion uh, which would certainly not be to order that Israel ceases its military operations. Mm. Now, it is likely it will continue to hear the case on genocide, which, you know, is completely egregious. And I think if anyone listened to the presentation of Israel two weeks ago, they completely demolished all of the arguments brought mm. forth by mm. South Africa. So no objective person listening to those presentations two weeks ago could possibly think that South Africa has a case. But again, you know, we're in UN land, so it's very hard to see. But I think the the bigger implications of this and that the court will bear responsibility for is, and, it, and it's been a big impact of this case, is all it's really doing is fomenting conflict. It's continuing conflict. It's making the conflict worse. It's spreading anti-Semitism internationally. It's, it's creating more demonization of Israel. And so that is also the legacy of, of a decision like this, if it turns out that they do go forward. So we'll also have to keep tabs on that. But again, I think it really comes down to accountability. We need to hold these international actors accountable for the damage they cause. And far right. too often, they are not, you know, they are not held to account for the things that they do and the damage that they cause and the bad advice that they give. So how, how do we do that? I mean, is there a way to hold South Africa accountable? Yes, of course, they'll feel it in terms of damage and a, a potential, potential impact on, on business with, with some of the, uh, the Western countries. South Africa undoubtedly will feel it. But this is the same country, as I mentioned earlier, who sided with Russia, who um, ignored the court's demand to arrest Omar al-Bashir. Why is it that South Africa could stand before the court uh, presenting this moral stand whilst at the same time um, having quite literally hold, held the court in contempt whenever it was asked to, to act uh, on its behalf. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a significant failing in these institutions. It's the same thing with the International Criminal Court. There are no... Um, there are no mechanisms to help hold these actors accountable. South Africa, according to the presentations that were made, made massive 
misrepresentations to the court, mm. provided false information to the court. If that had been, I know, in a United States court, they would have been sanctioned by the judge for that conduct. That would not be allowed to stand. I imagine even in a South African court. Of course, court, definitely not. Plainly lying. Yeah, so, would so not. Just tell us which were the ca- which in in which inc- instances South Africa lied to the court. Well, I think there were a couple things. One of the main points of Israel's presentation was that um, in order to even bring the case, South Africa had to show there was a genuine dispute between South Africa and Israel, mm. and mm. and there was mechanisms they were supposed to do, and they met, misrepresented to the court the way in which they had carried out informing Israel. They didn't do it in the proper way, and then they didn't um, they didn't give um, they didn't give um, accurate information to the court how they did that. Other things that they did were omitting one one thing that was notable from Israel's presentation that they pointed out, South Africa had, you know, made claims that Israel had blocked the crossings for mm. humanitarian aid mm. to go into Gaza. And as Israel pointed out in its presentation, Hamas was the one that destroyed the crossings. It wasn't Israel. You know, so th- those were just a couple of. And really I think there was also the, the the partial quote by Netanyahu about Amalek versus reading yes. vers- versus reading the. To me, that was the most significant because I kept thinking mm-hmm. any lawyer that you go to and you say this guy owes me money, here's an email, an excerpt from an email to prove it. Uh, a lawyer worth their salt will say thank you very much, but you know, do me a favor, give me the whole email. I just want to read the whole thing mm-hmm. and get the whole context. You're not just going to take that portion and then submit it to a court. So either the South African um, legal team chose not to do that, uh, to, to ask for the whole, um, the, the, the whole, uh, uh, all the context, or they, they, they deliberately uh, only submitted a portion. I th- and I think that's quite problematic. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Mr. Dugard, um, who is, a, you know, South African national, mm-hmm. should be questioned about that. You know, did yeah. they know? You know, was he aware of that? Or a lot of times also we see, particularly, and this is a problem why it's a UN court, and this happens all the time in UN reports, the UN does not verify information it gets often. It just it just repeats what it gets from either Hamas, as we know, on mm. casualty mm. information, or NGOs. They don't verify the information, and so you have this game of telephone where it just goes from report to report to report, and no one ever bothers to check to see what the actual, what the actual thing was mm. that was said or that happened. So that's something that also happens quite frequently. It's it's sloppiness, um, and it's and it and it rises to dishonesty at some point because it, when you're making, one would think if you are speaking to the International Court of Justice, which has this very you know highfalutin reputation. Um, you, sh- you should be required to actually have to do your job properly. Mm. And it did not appear that that was done, whether it was deliberate or or negligence. It's hard to know. The what would have happened following those the two presentations that happened on the Thursday and the Friday? Would would they have submitted many more documents that we didn't see, will the court have gone back to the parties to ask them further questions, to clarify? How does this work? So they they do, the countries do provide the court also with a written dossier. 
Um, it, I do not believe it's public at the moment. However, there was a New York Times. Mm, mm, I saw it on yesterday. one of the publications this morning. Right. Mm. Yes, exactly. So they apparently they got access to some of it. So that information will be of great revel- relevance. It's hard to know, though, you know, the court, I don't know what their staffing staffing arrangements are. So whether or not, and also it's only been two weeks, it hasn't been a very long time. Mm. So whether they've really invested the appropriate amount of time to review this material carefully, it's hard to know. So, so they, would, you, they would have been able to submit material afterwards, in other words? Yes, yes. And I believe, I've, I haven't had it confirmed, but I do believe they provided, there had been some controversy as to whether or not the Israel was going to show the video of the October mm, 7th, mm. the trustees in the court. And I believe they provided the judges with, with a copy of the video. Yes, so uh, they, they yes, I did. Uh, we did hear that earlier. So the judges would have been able to see uh, what what exactly had happened on that day. Right. So those types. So again, it's hard to know. Did they, will they watch this? Mm, mm. What impact will these things have? But they are important because, again, a main feature of South Africa's uh, complaint was erasing the context of Hamas mm, mm. and what what happened and and you have to look at that in order to to show what Israel's intent and why it went into Gaza it wasn't to commit genocide but rather to eliminate Hamas and the threat and to rescue the hostages of course the other issue which is the biggest absurdity of the whole lot is that Hamas itself is not subject to the court because it's not party to right. to the charter being a terrorist organization so they can demand israel uh, adhere to a ceasefire but they can't demand that the hostages retur- are returned right right and so that that's also shows the imbalance here and the absurdity so israel actually has made in the past according to news reports mm-hmm. has made in the past couple weeks a couple different ceasefire um proposals and reportedly hamas has rejected those proposals so it's actually hamas that wants to keep fighting so for the court to issue this egregious one if they do Mm. this egregious one-sided decision that israel alone has to stop its military operations how ridiculous would that be it it just shows the entire system is upside down because in fact, it it's uh, th- that uh, that ceasefire or that proposal that was rejected two days ago or three days ago, surely that must come to the attention of the judges, uh, who, who you know who, uh, I mean, if Israel has offered a ceasefire, that's all that the court is actually looking to do ultimately. Uh, Israel's offered it in return for the hostages, which is not an unreasonable uh, clay, uh, demand. The surely that has to weigh quite heavily on the court. One would think, however, one thing that's been disturbing, and we see we saw this actually in the 2004 case they did against Israel's security barrier. And again, this is very common in the UN and and their institutions, is that they look at things very myopically and decontextualized. So often in, in those previous cases and instances, they just erase the existence of Hamas and they just solely focus on Israel, like devoid of any, any context or why, why Israel's doing what it's doing. 
And unfortunately, I could see some of these judges doing it that way also. And that was really also what South Africa's brief did. So mm, one mm. would think they should look at these geopolitical developments and what's going on on the ground. But I do not have much faith in the people that are, you know, operating at the court. A lot of the judges have very little legal experience and none. I don't think any have any military mm, experience. Mm. So I, I am pessimistic, but there's always a glimmer of hope. It's uh, really, really just uh, fascinating, unfortunately, not necessarily in a good way. But we know that Israel's uh, case was a very, very strong one. The reality is what Israel is doing on the ground uh, is uh, is in compliance with all of these requirements and more. I think it set itself, it set the rest of the world a very high standard to try and uh, adhere to in a case of a war like this, where the terrorists have embedded themselves amongst the civilians and are fighting from civilian targets. But of course, Absolutely. it will uh, it will be interesting to see. Anne Hertzberg, thank you for taking the time, uh, chatting to us, bringing us a, a, a deep understanding of these scenarios. Anne Hertzberg is a legal advisor of NGO Monitor and an expert in lawfare. It's eight fifty six.